May the Lord bless the children and those who teach them. Praise the Lord. The rest of you, if you brought your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That's right, we're not in Acts today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I've entitled this message, Giving to Our Lord's Work. Believe it or not, it has been over five years since I last preached on the topic of giving to the church. Giving to the work of Christ. Uh, Just out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you have been here less than five years? Could you raise your hands for me, please? Wow. Yeah, that's what I thought. Thank you. So uh, the elders in our last elders meeting suggested, Pastor, it's been a long time since you've preached on giving. Might be a good idea. And so, Considering the financial challenges of our times, I think this is a very important topic for all of us. One of the best books on this topic is written by John MacArthur, and it's entitled, Whose Money Is It Anyway? He writes this in the introduction. Having a proper view of money and possessions and managing them biblically are serious challenges that face all Christians. By God's providence, people are in varying financial situations, but we all have to deal with the same questions. What do we do with our resources? How much should we invest and save? How much should we give? These questions, he writes, test the genuineness and integrity of our spiritual walk. How a believer handles the stewardship of their finances and possessions communicates much about their spiritual condition. To underscore how important the subject of money and possessions is to God... 16 of Jesus' 38 parables have to do with how people should handle their earthly wealth. 16 out of his 38 parables. In fact, Jesus taught more about stewardship than he did about heaven and hell combined. The entire Bible contains over 2,000 references to wealth, poverty, and stewardship. So what we do with the things that God has entrusted to us is very important to Him. And that is because it all belongs to Him. Whose money is it anyway? It's His. All that we have is His. But God has entrusted every Christian with stewardship of money and possessions that belong to Him. Every last cent of our money and every one of our possessions belongs to Him. Therefore, He expects us to use all of our resources in a manner that honors Him and brings glory to Him. Good stewardship should be motivated by what Jesus said concerning the relationship 
between how we use our money and our spiritual fruitfulness. He indicates that how you handle money is an indication of your spiritual maturity. Listen to this. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, taught his disciples to have a correct perspective on wealth and possessions. And I believe he's teaching us the same thing today. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, we read these words. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp, the eye, excuse me, is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's a warning here. Because we grew up in a culture that worships money. We live in a culture that worships money, possessions. They are really the God of most of those who live in this world. And the key warning here is that we do not accumulate finances and possessions simply for our own satisfaction. If we do that, then possessions and wealth become idols. We're not to store up our riches. Instead, we are to cheerfully and generously use our wealth and possessions to further support God's kingdom. And in doing so, we are establishing treasure in heaven. When we use the resources God has bestowed upon us to honor God, provide for our family, and minister to others, that generates treasure that we can never lose. Jesus goes on to say that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So the question is, where do we want our heart to be focused? Is our heart going to be focused on the things of this world? Or are our hearts going to be focused on the kingdom? John MacArthur writes this, It is impossible for the true Christian to have his treasures anchored to the world if his heart is fixed on heaven. If your heart is right concerning your wealth, then you will willingly invest money in God's kingdom. But if you are reluctant to give God your wealth, then you need to re-examine your relationship to the Lord. Whose money is it anyway? The biblical principle for believers has always been to give to God, to give to His work. 
In fact, over and over again in both the Old and the New Testament, we are commanded to give to the Lord's work. I want to just remind you of a few of those commands. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we read this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. We looked at that word first fruits in our Sunday school class this morning, looking at the fact that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. But first fruits goes all the way back to the Old Testament, which meant that when the harvest came, whether it was wheat, whether it was olives, whether it was grapes, whatever it was, they gathered God's portion first, not last. They didn't give to God what was left over. He gave to God the first fruits of their wealth, the first fruits of their harvest. And then God promises that if they do that, He will give to them all that they need. Listen to what the prophet Malachi writes in, in Malachi 3:10 and 11. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, have no fear, little children. If you give to me and my work, I will take care of you. Jesus in Luke 6, 38, says this, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Jesus is again saying the same thing, that as we give, God will give in return. Now, it's not always in kind. It's not always in kind. If I give a thousand dollars to the work of the Lord, does that mean God's going to give me like two thousand dollars? Okay? Uh, there's some preachers and teachers that teach that. That's not biblical. And more importantly, we don't give to receive. If we're giving to receive, then our motive is wrong. That's not what God is saying here. What God is saying is, you give, I'll take care of you. Okay? And I can tell you, you know, in my own life, God has proven this over and over and over and over and over and over again. I'm driving an old Ford. I don't know how old you consider old. It's 21 years old. Okay? 21 years old. The thing never breaks down, never has a problem, right? It's been paid off for a decade, right? Bless you. God takes care of us. I'm wearing this lovely suit this morning that my wife and I found at a thrift store for $15, right? That's a blessing from the Lord. 
I could go on and on and on and on. Do you know the last time I spent a night in the hospital? When I was 16 years old. Yeah. God has blessed me with amazing health. Now, I've been injured a few times, but that was because of my own stupidity. But God takes care of us, doesn't he? In, in amazing ways. We can trust him. And listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, Paul here is using the metaphor of sowing seed. Uh, I've got my garden planted now. I planted three tomato plants, three squash plants, and four mini pepper plants. All of which we started from seed. Uh, My wife started from seed. I can't take credit for that. Uh, Because it's a lot cheaper than going out and buying large plants, right? And my tomatoes are already, you know, like that tall. So praise the Lord for that. But if I I plant three tomato plants, I'm not going to get the harvest I would get from 12. Right? I mean, we all know that. Right? The more we sow, the more we reap. And Paul is saying the more we give, the more we will receive it's a biblical principle we've seen that over and over again john macarthur writes generosity and giving has always been god's formula for acquiring permanent and guaranteed spiritual rewards and they always result when we have our primary treasure in heaven These promises made by God should be all that we need to fill us with joy at every opportunity to give towards his kingdom work. They ought to motivate us to give to his church, to his missions work on earth, or give to meet the needs of others. Remember that Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. But he also promises that those who do give will receive blessings from God. It's a win-win proposition. We are blessed to be able to give, and we are blessed by God as a result. Amen? Praise be to God. So today, I want us to look at a small portion of what the Apostle Paul had to say about giving to the Lord's work. Paul gives us six principles that should characterize our giving. And by the way, I followed Pastor Don's pattern, and I put a bulletin insert in your bulletin with these six principles. So you would have them to take home, because I know most of you don't take notes, right? And as soon as you knew I was going to preach on giving, you were like, oh, I'm going to snooze during this sermon. (laughs) So, hopefully you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. That will be our text for today. If you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. In this letter to the church, Paul spends two full chapters, chapters 8 and chapters 9, on the need to give to the Lord's work. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to read all of that to you this morning. We will focus on the principles that we just read from our text. These include that we are to give generously, individually, thoughtfully, voluntarily, cheerfully, and expectantly. The first principle is that we should give bountifully or generously. And we see that in verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul here is encouraging those in the church to do more than the minimum, to be generous in their giving, with the result being that God will bless them and provide for them even more opportunity to invest in his kingdom. Now, I understand that all of us have a different ability to give, and our ability to give is based on our financial situation. That's why we don't dictate the amount that someone should give. That's left up to you. But the principle is the more you give, the more you will receive. And the more you will receive so that you can give more. That's the principle. And we see that here in this verse, but also look down at verses 10 and 11, where Paul writes that God supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, and he will supply and multiply your seed, what? For sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You see that? So God gives us blessings so that then we can in turn give to his work. And that through us will produce thanksgiving to God, and we'll get to that in a minute. 
So we are to give generously. And again, depending on your situation, that's going to differ. We sang the song earlier about the widow giving her two mites, her one penny at the temple. And Jesus said she gave more than the rich people who were pouring their money in and making sure everybody heard it jingling as it went in, okay? She gave more than them, he said. Why? Because she gave everything she had. So we are to give generously as we are able. Second, we are to give individually. Look at verse 7. Each one must give. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Each one must give. Who must give? Each one or everyone must give. Giving's not optional, it's commanded. It is expected that all of God's children will be giving towards His work. He blesses us individually. He provides for us individually so that we can give individually. Now again, our giving will be proportional to what we are able to give. Some will be able to give much more than others. But all, listen to me, all are able to give something. All are able to give something. Men and women... Boys and girls, old and young, all should be giving to the Lord's work. It's actually a form of worship. It's an acknowledgement that everything we have came from God. Every blessing we have, even the ability to work, comes from God. Amen? So it's an act of of worship, it's an act of faith and trust in God. How can we give some of our money away, especially in these difficult financial times? Well, we do it by faith, believing that God's got our back. God's going to take care of us. And I mentioned old and young. Listen to me. When, when Patty and I were raising our son and daughter, we taught them to tithe. I truly believe that children should be given an allowance based on the chores that they're given to do. I truly believe this. Children should be trained to work from a very young age to help and to work. Why? That was the original mandate in the Garden of Eden. Adam was to work and to keep. And so we should teach our kids that. And as a result, we always gave our kids an, uh, um, I said off, almost said offering, an allowance, an allowance. And that allowance increased as they got older and their responsibilities increased and they were able to help out more and more. And then we taught our children that they should give a portion of that allowance to the Lord, to his work. And so they would bring their offering to the church. And they saw mom and dad putting our offering in the, in the basket and they would do the same. We are to give individually. Each one must give. And then we are to give purposefully. Look again at verse 7. As he has decided in his heart, or as he has purposed in his heart. Now, this phrase indicates 
Thought, prayer, and planning. That's right. We should plan for our giving. It's not to be spontaneous. It's to be planned for. It should be a part of our budget. You know what a budget is, right? We should determine in advance what we can give, and then we should bring it to give or give it through the various means that are available to us. And we should teach this to our children as well and encourage them to be purposeful in their giving. We should come prepared to give as we have planned. Remember that old adage, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? Now, I had somebody come to me a few years ago, and they were having a very, very difficult financial time, barely able to make ends meet, and they came to me asking, Pastor, am I supposed to give 10% to the Lord? What's commonly called a tithe, okay? And I said to them, are you able to give 10%? Well, no, the only way I could give 10% is I didn't pay some of my bills, And I said, well, if you do that, you're not giving your money. You're giving somebody else's money, right? If you owe it to them, it's their money. You can't do that. Well, I can't pay 10%. Well, a tithe is not commanded in the New Testament, by the way. I think we should be giving more than 10% if we're able. Why would we stop there? It's all his But this is what I told that person. Can you give up getting a soda a couple times a week or getting a cup of coffee a couple times a week? Can you give something up and give that to the Lord? I went to Starbucks the other day. I took uh, Greg Somerville to the airport, okay? And we had to get up really early. I had to get up like 4.30 in the morning to get him down to Oakland Airport early for his flight. And, man, I was kind of jonesing afterwards, and I knew I was going to have to drive all the way back here. So I asked Google, where's the nearest Starbucks, right, in Oakland? That's another story. It was a little creepy. i got to be honest with you. But I went into the Starbucks, and I got a little, like, biscuit, right? What do they call those things? They're hard and, no. Biscotti, thank you. I got a little biscotti, and I got a cup of coffee. $8.50. $8.50. Now, I don't go to Starbucks. I got to be honest. I, we, 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 we brew our own coffee at home. You know, I've got a travel mug, right? Why would, I, why would I pay five bucks or six bucks for a cup of coffee, right? Unbelievable. So I would say to somebody, hey, don't go to Starbucks anymore. Brew your own coffee and give that to the Lord. You see what I'm saying? Start there. Start somewhere. Can you give $10 a week? Can you put $10 a week in the offering? Start there. See if God doesn't increase your ability to give. So we're to give purposefully. Number four, we are to give voluntarily. Look back at verse seven. We are not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, You might be thinking, well, pastor, that's exactly what you're doing right now. 
You're tempting to put me under compulsion by telling me that I should be giving. No, I'm not. If you feel like the word of God is putting you under compulsion, you need to talk to him. These aren't my words. These are his, okay? But that's exactly why we don't dictate a percentage that people should give. That would be putting them under compulsion. That would be laying a guilt trip on them. Now, many churches do. Many churches do. Many denominations do. They require a certain tithe, okay? We don't do that because we want you to give voluntarily. You should not give because someone has coerced you into giving. We should give because we know it's what God wants us to do, not because someone's laid a guilt trip on us. So I'm not trying to do that this morning. I'm simply trying to communicate to you what God's word says. We're to give from our heart. We're to give out of love. Love for God. Love for how God has blessed us. Love for others in need. We do not want to place anyone under an obligation to give a certain amount or a percentage of their income, but we're all to give and to increase our giving as God makes that possible. And I believe that as we give, God will increase that ability. God does not want us to give reluctantly or under compulsion because God wants us to be a cheerful giver. And that's our next principle again in verse 7 we are told that god loves a cheerful giver now i don't know about you but i love to be loved by god amen and paul here says god loves a cheerful giver remember god knows our heart he knows why we give and he knows why we fail to give He knows our motives. He knows our attitude towards giving. And he loves those who give cheerfully or joyfully. He wants us to give back to him with joy. Joy for who he is. Joy for what he has done in saving us. Joy for God raising us from the dead spiritually remember scripture says that you and i were dead in our trespasses and sins and god made us alive together with christ right so we are to have joy for how god has provided for us and blessed us above what we deserve and even above what we need We should take joy in investing in his work. What is his work? The salvation of souls. That's what we're giving towards. That's what we're giving towards when we give to the church. That's what we're giving towards when we give to missions. The salvation of souls. Joy to invest in his work. Joy to invest in the family of God. And God loves a joyful giver. And finally, Paul once again reminds us that God will bless those who give so that they can give more. And so we should give expectantly. Expectantly. Human wisdom teaches that prosperity comes from striving 
for wealth and holding on to it. Isn't that what the world believes? If you're going to prosper, you must strive for wealth, and then you must hold on to it, right, with all your strength, right? You don't invest in something that's risky unless you want to strive more, right? Otherwise, you put it somewhere safe. As I'm approaching retirement age, you know, I want to make sure I've got something for my retirement age, and it's in a safe place, right? I mean, that's, that's wisdom. But that doesn't mean I stop giving. Faith trusts in God's promises to bless those who give. Faith trusts that He is able to make all grace abound to us so that having all sufficiency, we may then abound in every good work that He's called us to do. In other words, those who give to God's work can express, expect God's blessings. Look down at verse 8 with me. Let me read that to us. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All means all. Repeated there four times, right? He's going to make all grace abound to you, all sufficiency in all things at all times, so that you can abound in every good work, not so that you can sit on your laurels and so you can put it in the bank, right? God wants to supply what we need. He goes on, verse 9, as it is written, God has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I mean, Paul says it here like six ways that God blesses those who give so that they can give more. Again, I had somebody come to me once and say, Pastor, am I supposed to give to the Lord uh, if I receive an inheritance? I've had somebody else ask me, if I sell my house and I make a big profit, am I supposed to give some of that to the Lord? If I sell a car, am I supposed to give some of that to the Lord? And the answer for me is, I think it's pretty obvious, we give according to how we prosper. If God is prospering us, if God is blessing us, then we return blessings unto him i mean it's pretty pretty clear to me so in other words those who give to god's work can expect god to bless and supply what they need so that they can give to god's work so giving is not simply receiving giving results excuse me so giving is not simply receiving giving results oh that's funny. Results in receiving so that we can continue to give. Okay? So we're blessed to receive, and that receiving gives us the opportunity to give. And this is, again, what we just read in verses 10 and 11. Isn't that beautiful? God supplies all that we need and more so that we can give to his work. 
which will then produce thanksgiving to God, resulting in God receiving the glory. Who's to receive the glory in what we give? God is. Remember Jesus said, don't let the left, left hand know what the right hand is doing when it comes to giving. In other words, we don't make a big deal out of it, right? We don't draw attention. I'm not going to stand up here before you and tell you how much money I've given to the Lord over the last 20 years, right? It just wouldn't be appropriate for me to do that. First of all, you might think, is that all? Right? Or if you thought, holy cow, then I would be bringing attention to myself and I would receive some of that glory. That's not appropriate, right? We don't give so that people will know we give. We give to bring glory to God. And that's what we see in verses 12 through 15. Let me read that again. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contributions for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And just as we sang in that song, the goal of every Christian life should be to live to the glory of God. The giving of the Christians in Corinth was already producing thanksgivings to God and would result in glory to God for what they had given. The giving of the Christians would meet the needs for which it was being given, but even more important, it would result in thanksgiving and glory to God. And the same is true today with our giving. Our giving results in thanksgiving and glory being given to God. And God is worthy of all glory and praise. Amen? He's worthy. And so he's worthy for us to bring him glory by being good stewards of what he has entrusted us with. Note that Paul writes in verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission. Your submission to what? To the commands to give, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying here that those who truly confess Christ are also going to live to please and glorify Christ and guess what? That will be seen in how they give. Their actions in giving and their generosity would result in verifying that they were true Christians to the praise and glory of the God who saved them. And the result, as we see in verse 14, is the surpassing grace of God is shown to be upon them. We are saved by grace. We are sanctified by grace. We are provided for and abundantly blessed by grace. And we are able to give to the Lord's work by God's grace. Everything we have has been given to us. 
It's been given to us by God. It's all His. And verse 15, he closes with this small benediction. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. That inexpressible gift is God's grace towards us which was only made possible by the gift of his son and his son's gift of laying down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And I just want to, before we close the message, I just want to bring to your attention that we as Christians are supposed to be Christ-like ones. That's really what Christian means which means we're supposed to follow Christ's example. Did Christ give? Did he give to God's work? Is God himself a giver? I just want to remind you of a few verses that tell us about that. The first is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life god gave himself he gave his own son and his son gave his own life so that we might know him and this was an expression of love and then Romans 6.23 tells us that while the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, what we deserve is death, judgment, because we're all sinners. But God, because of his love for us, He has given us the free gift of salvation through His Son. It cost Jesus everything, but it's free to us. And then finally, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us that it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. I can't boast in the fact that 52 years ago, God opened my eyes to see my need for a Savior. And He gave me saving faith so that I would trust in Jesus for my salvation. I can't boast in that. It was all of Him. It was a free gift as it has been for every one of us who believe and trust in Christ. And if you've not yet trusted in Christ for your salvation, I'm going to be praying that God will give you that gift, the gift of saving faith that comes because of his love and his grace. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in James 1.17 makes this statement, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Our Heavenly Father is a giver. He's a giver. Not because He has to. Because He wants to. And that's what He wants to see for us. 
He wants us to be givers, not because we have to, but because we want to. We give out of love. We give out of appreciation. We give out of thanks. We give to glorify Him. Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. He writes this, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you in this room have received a gift from God? I don't have to ask for a show of hands because it's every one of us, right? He formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you life. He gives you every breath that you breathe. Every heartbeat is a gift from Him. Life itself. And as we've just read, He's given us eternal life through giving us His Son. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Everything we have, we're to be stewards of. Meaning, it's not ours, it's His. And we need to invest it how He directs us to, in order that in everything God may be glorified. It comes back to that, doesn't it? The way we live our lives in this world is to bring glory to Him, looking forward to the world to come when we will be with Him forever. So all that we have, all that we've been given, has come down from the Father as an act of His grace. And we are in turn to invest what He has given us into His kingdom as good stewards of what has been given by Him. We are blessed to be able to give generously, individually, purposefully, voluntarily, cheerfully, and expectantly knowing that it will result in thanksgiving and glory to God. That same God who has poured out His love, mercy, and grace upon us. How blessed we are to be His instruments of blessing to others. Amen? I pray that He would continue to pour out His blessings upon us so that we might give even more to his glorious kingdom. In closing, I love this statement. We will be blessed when we honor God by investing into his kingdom just as he has instructed us to do. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to be reminded from your word what you have to say about how we should be investing in your kingdom. Father, we acknowledge freely that all that we have comes from you. We would not be here today except, Father God, you have loved us and you have blessed us. No matter what our current financial situation is, we're here today, Father God, because you have blessed us. And Father, you know each one who's here, you know our hearts. And Lord, I believe that all of your children desire to give to you. But not all are able. 
Father, help them. Help them to become able. Provide what is needed, Father, that we might give more. And of course, we know the giving is not just limited to our finances. It's also our time, our talents, our abilities. Ways in which we can serve you and serve others. So, Father God, help us to be givers. Givers of ourselves for your praise and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all stand, if you would. We're going to sing a song that talks about how we can flourish. And we can flourish because of God's provisions for us.